Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed, and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. And he shall father 12 princes and I will make him to him a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house or brought with his, bought with his money every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he stood at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. And they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have this pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you, about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for all that you tell us. 
Some of it makes sense. Some of it makes no sense. And we pray that you'll sit with us today and help us to understand a little bit more about you, a little bit more about how you choose to deal with us, and to take some comfort from the various things that are happening in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, please be seated. So I will be, uh, I'll turn 43 next month. And so I'm getting to be that um, young old, old for a young person, young for an old person, you know, middle-aged. If I live to be 86, I'll be middle-aged uh, now. But I'm starting to understand the benefits. So there's a number of drawbacks to getting older, and I don't think we need to go through those. They're self-explanatory. One of, one of them is that my son came to me the other day, and he said, Dad, uh, your hair isn't really growing from your head anymore. It's growing over your head. <laughs> and, and so one of, one of the... Th one of the things about getting older is you just come, you come to accept this, but, but there's some benefits as well. And the, one of the benefits is that you feel a lot less worried about what other people are thinking of you. And kids actually help with this a lot. Um, kids cure you from embarrassment. Um, those of you who, who have very young kids, very young, um, if they get to three or four, you'll, you start to know what I'm talking about. Um, they just embarrass you all the time. And there's nothing you can do about it. Um, you just have to live with it. But then what's going to happen? You get your revenge because they're going to turn like 13 or 14. And now you're going to embarrass them. And they're going to complain to you about how embarrassing you are. And it's absolutely true. You're, you're humiliating them. Uh, whether you mean to or not, you just are. Um, but I tell my kids, I'm like, it's your fault. If you hadn't come along, I would have still have a sense of shame. But you've been in my life long enough where there's this impossible for me to have any sense of embarrassment. And now you have to pay the price for that. Um, so I tell a lot of dad jokes. And the fun thing about dad jokes is it doesn't matter if they're funny or not. Um, here's the thing. It's like social media, right? If you're, they say about social media or anything, like if you're not paying for it, you're the product. Dad jokes are kind of like that. Like if it's not funny, you're probably the punchline and you just don't realize it. Like dads tell dad jokes because they, they want to kind of see what you're going to do. And your reaction is what makes it funny for them. It's not the joke. The joke is here or there. But we've all had those experiences where we we say something funny and nobody laughs and you're just kind of sitting there and and it's if you're lucky they knew it was a joke but sometimes they didn't know it was a joke and nobody's laughing and they think you're serious you just kind of have to sit there and live with it but we've had the opposite experience as well of that i didn't say anything funny and everybody laughed and this is what you know my my boys are going through this um now and and my youngest son shiloh who's not here so i can um he does this. He'll say things, observations about my hair or things like that, and we'll laugh, and he gets this look on his face like, I didn't know that was a joke. Why are you laughing? And of course, what do we try to tell them? We're not laughing at you. We're laughing with you. And about half the time, that's true. And the other half, we're just laughing at him, and I feel bad for him. Um, and, and so we have a story here where we have laughter, and you know, th this is a little tricky because God is not a humorist. And in, in fact, nothing God is saying in either of these passages are funny. And yet the human response to both of them is laughter. And Abraham and Sarah are not laughing with God. Abraham and Sarah are laughing at God, which, as you can imagine, is a tricky place to be. So let me, let me go through these passages. Um, they're sort of, we have two similar passages in very different settings. And so I just want to talk through kind of what's here, um, some of the interesting things about them. And then we're going to talk through kind of the, the, uh, 
some of the meaning behind it and some of how it affects us. But in, in chapter, eight, uh, chapter 17, verse 15, where we start, we have God appearing to Abraham and reiterating this covenant. Um, and if you've read earlier parts of Genesis, you know what the covenant is. God's going to provide Abraham with a homeland. He's going to provide him with descendants. He's going to prosper him. He's going to make of him a great nation. Everybody will be blessed. We have this, this promise that has been threaded through all of God's dealings with Abraham. Um, and, but, but there's actually been a gap because the gap from chapter 16 to chapter 17 is, is about 13 years um, because Ishmael is born at the end of chapter 16. And then we find out in chapter 17 that he's 13 or 14 years old, uh, 13 years old. And then a little bit later when Isaac is born, he's 14. So we have this gap in time where God has been talking with Abraham, dealing with Abraham, and then, and then we have Ishmael, sort of a product of, of this promise, even though that's not how God intended to fulfill the promise, but, but Abraham um, had Ishmael. And then time goes by, and God comes back to Abraham with the same promise. And I, I had, for this, for this preparation, I'd never done this before, this preparation, I thought, how often... How many times have we heard this promise? You know, because I've heard it through Sunday school growing up my whole life, um, and many of you have. It's just this, this promise God made to Abraham. If you actually go back and look, this in chapter 18, uh, in verse 15, is the sixth time that God has told Abraham this particular promise about blessing him, making him a great nation. Six times. This is number six. Which means when we get to the next chapter— and Sarah hears the promise, that's time number seven. And when we, we, we don't have a lot of dates here. Like I said, we know it's been 13 years since, since the last time we knew that, that God and Abraham interacted. Um, but, it, you know, if we look and try to trace it back, it looks like it's been about 20 to 25 years worth of God telling Abraham how he's going to have descendants. And but there's some differences in this particular promise. First of all, God rolls out some new names. Um, earlier in chapter 17, that, that's not in this scripture reading, is where God famously tells Abram that his name will now be Abraham. And in, in our verse here, God tells him that his wife's name will now be Sarah. And we can go into the meanings of that. Um, they're, they're just derivations of the same name. So they're not like completely new names. They're just little tweaks on it. But there's a third new name earlier in chapter 17, which I did not realize, um, but God calls himself by the name El Shaddai, El, you know, from Elohim and Shaddai, um, which is another Hebrew word that has different translations that, that I'll get to. So God un unveils a new name for himself. He unveils a new name for Abraham. He unveils a new name for Sarah. And this is also the first time that God specifically brings Sarah into the promise. The covenant up to this point, I went back and looked at him again. I'll go look at all five times. Um, that God has told Abraham about being, him having descendants and being a great nation. And it's always God and Abraham, God and Abraham, God and Abraham. And time number six, um, God says specifically, this will happen with Sarah. Now, why does God add that? Because now we have Ishmael on the scene. And that's what Abraham's saying. So Abraham says to God, well, first, let me, let me back up a little bit. So verse 17, um, is, is Abraham's response. And, and God is saying in, in verse, I, I love verse 16, I will bless her and moreover, I will give you a son by her, I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. It's this grand statement. It's actually very poetic. 
very grand statement. Your, your wife will become nations, kings of people. And it's sort of this grand um, annunciation. And Abraham falls on his face, and you're thinking, okay, that's the right response, right? No, he falls on his face laughing. Literally the, you know, R-O-F-L, rolling on the floor laughing, that's Abraham's response. He literally falls over laughing. Not in a good way. And at this idea that this will come from Sarah. And he says to God, basically, I already have a son. You've been telling me for 20 years that I will have descendants and descendants, and I have a son. Can we just leave it at that? Can my son, Ishmael, who's 13 years old, can he be the descendants? He's already here. And so that's Abraham just laughing at this ridiculous idea that that the wife of his youth, who is now 90 years old, is going to have a son. And he's thinking, this is so unnecessary, God. You've told me for 20 years I'm going to have descendants. I finally have had a descendant 13 years ago. And now you're coming back and telling me that's not good enough. There's going to be more descendants. Why are we going through all of this again? And that's Abraham's response here. He says, can we just use Ishmael? And um, I, speaking of humor, puns. Puns are one of those things that I love to tell, but I don't actually like to hear. Um, but there's, there's puns all through here because Ishmael means hearing and Isaac means laughter um, in various forms. So Ishmael means he hears or God hears. Isaac means he laughs or, or laughter. There's different ways to kind of break it up. But those are the roots of those two words. And so um, in verse 20, he says, as for, God says to Abraham, as for Ishmael, I have heard you, which is Ishmael's name. Um, but he says, but, um, but in verse 19, he says, Sarah will have a son and you shall name him, call his name Isaac. Now he says that right after Abraham's laughing at him. Abraham laughs. God says, all right, this is going to happen. And now you're going to name him Isaac, which means laughter, but I've heard you about Ishmael. So they go through these kind of, and you'll see this same play on words in, in chapter 18. Um, and speaking of play on words, I mentioned El Shaddai, God giving himself this name El Shaddai. Um, which is translated in, in many of the translations as, as God Almighty. Um, the, it, I've, I've read different ways of doing this. Um, Almighty, is, it's kind of redundant. God Almighty. God means Almighty. The El Shaddai in the Hebrew has this sense of God is all-sufficient. So he said, I am God all-sufficient to you, and here's how I'm going to bless you. And then Abraham comes and says, we don't need to do all that. I have a son right here. I've, I've got this son. We, we've got what we need. And so, and so it's God's way of reinforcing for Abraham, I know you have a son. I will provide everything else, everything that you need. It's not up to you to provide for this covenant. I will provide it. So we have all of this kind of, this setting going through chapter 18. It's a very, it's a very, um, or sorry, chapter 17. It's a very serious, kind of very um, uh, intense dialogue between God and Abraham. And we've got new names, and we've got, play that, we've, got the, we've got this statement, and we've got this ridicule of Abraham laughing, and, and all of these things. And, but, but at the end of the day, Abraham believes God. And this is what we see through all of these. It's been 20, 25 years of God making these promises, Abraham having various stages of belief, various stages of disbelief. But we see um, in the rest of chapter 17, Abraham acting out his faith in God. And he follows the instruction God gives him and, and it's, it's sort of like, okay, that, we, we, that's the closing of that chapter. And now we go to chapter 18. And, 
and we have, we, we have a whole different setting. And in the, in the literary sense, what we have in the first half of chapter 18 here um, would be called an idol. Idol, not idol like you worship, not idol like sitting around, but idol like, uh, like an idyllic scene. Um, in literature, we just say something is idyllic, or we say like idols of the king was a, was a work of... So an idol, um, I-D-Y-L-L, is this idea of this tranquil domestic scene um, as like a backdrop for, for something else that's going to happen. And so that's what we are confronted with in chapter 18. Um, the Lord appears to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre, 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 couldn't tell you. Uh, we'll say Mamre because that's how I've always heard it. As he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. So it's, we've got this calm setting. You, you kind of have, you can see this vista open up before you. Um, there were not a lot of trees in that part of, or in any part of Palestine. So Abraham is, is, has his tents here in this, this uh, patch of trees. He lifts up his eyes and looks, and behold, three men are standing in front of him. And, and so we'll, and we, I'm not going to reread the whole story, but you, you, get the, you get the story here of Abraham looks up, he sees these visitors, and he welcomes them um, with, with open arms, with hospitality, which is another sort of literary, this is sort of a literary genre of like, you've got the childless couple, you have the visitors who kind of test them, they, they respond with hospitality, the childless couple is then rewarded for their hospitality. You've got, you got all these sort of, sort of scene playing out, a very human scene that we can... Um, that, that we can sort of relate to because we've got, you know, dinner preparations, we've got visitors in the home, we've got all these things. And during the course of this, we have the seventh repetition of the promise. Um, and, and now this is, you know, we don't know if Sarah has heard the other repetition, but this, is, this one we know Sarah heard. And Sarah has the exact same response that Abraham has. She laughs. So, so all of that, so this is all my introduction, by the way, which is, it's, um, we have all of this happening, and we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about, um, we've talked about the repetition of the promise, we've, we'll talk about the reaction to the promise, and then we'll talk about the resolution of the promise. And we've, we've mentioned about the repetition of the promise so many times, um, God has come to Abraham or Sarah, or in this case, the two of them together, and said, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to give you nations. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you all these things. And we've gotten to the point where the promise has become a parody. Abraham and Sarah, it might be, this might be too strong, but, but they're not really buying it anymore. God, you've been telling this. We were old when you started telling us this. <laughs> we're 20 years older now. You're still telling us none of it's happening. We, we have a son, or, or Abraham says, I have a son that, that, that Sarah's kind of rejected, but was supposed to be her son as well at the, at the time. Um, th that's not working. We've tried all these things. None of this is working. And God comes, and he repeats the same promise over again. And it's become a parody at this point. It's become an object of ridicule. We don't need to hear it again. And... The, this, the interesting thing about this promise of Isaac coming to them is the parallels that we have with Christ. And this, is, um, this isn't only about, about parallels with Christ. There's other ways that this applies to us as well. But I want to talk a little bit about the, about the parallels that this promise has with Christ. Because in, the, in a very real sense, a promise of a son or a promise of descendants 
is a promise of eternal life. It's a promise that your life doesn't end when you die. It is continued among other people after your own death. And so we can look at Abraham and Sarah in sort of their pre-Isaac state, especially Sarah. And we can look at them pre-Isaac state, and we say their, their lives are finite, and when they die, that's going to be the end of it, and they will recede into history, and everything continues without them. And sort of this, this, this real physical death becomes also like a spiritual or genetic death. Um, we can also see that Sarah herself, her inability to have a son in this day and age, and, and today as well, but not as, as, not as much, in this day and age, was, was a serious stain on her. This was a social uh, stain and a cultural stain that she could not get rid of. So it's something that sort of marks her as, as insufficient, um, uh, degenerate, too strong a word, but if it's something that would cause people to look down on her, um, and, and we talk about this, the stain of sin and all, all those things in our own lives, um, so you have that parallel as well. And then you have the parallel that um, you also have the parallel that um, there's nothing that they've tried everything they can do to affect the promise on their own. They've tried everything they can do to have a son. They even had sort of a surrogate son um, in Sarah's case, and, and none of it's worked. And so you have these parallels to God saying, I'm going to provide you a son, to God also telling us, I'll provide you eternal life. And then the reactions. So that's the repetition of the promise. The reactions to the promise are interesting as well because, because both Abraham and Sarah have a negative response. They laugh, they, they mock, they have this mocking ridicule of this promise. We're sick of hearing of it. It makes no sense to us. Um, but, but they react, even though their outward reaction is the same, it comes from two different places of unbelief. Abraham's laugh comes from a place of, is this really necessary? I think I've got it covered. So Abraham has already done what he can do, and in his mind, it has worked. I have a son. Uh, that should be good enough. Um, what, what I've brought to the table is enough for this promise to be fulfilled. I don't really need you anymore for this, God. I could just, if you could just bless Ishmael rather than promise me another son, um, that's really what I need here. And so Abraham is bringing his own works to God and saying, here's what I've done, um, this is fine. And, and sort of expecting God to just say, all right, that looks good, we'll go with that. And this is what we do, we, we do it on a number of them, we do it in the sense of salvation, right? Of, of we bring our works before God and we say, God, I've done more right than I've done wrong, um, I, I kind of expect this to work for you. And um, this is something my, my dad always said, um, when you talk to people of who, who don't have a faith in Christ, and you say, why will, you know, but they believe in some sort of afterlife. Like, why will things go well for you in the afterlife? You know, whether it's go to heaven or whatever it looks like. But, but why, but most people have some expectation that if there's an afterlife, they're gonna be, be okay. Um, and if you really probe down to why is that, why, what's the source of that expectation? It's gonna take a lot of different forms, but it's gonna boil down to some version of the following. I've done more good than I have bad. Um, whether that's true or not, everybody believes that about themselves. So, so, so everybody kind of looks at the afterlife and says, okay, well, if there's an afterlife, and, and most people believe in some version of it, quite honestly, um, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to have a positive experience in that afterlife because I've done more good than I've done bad. Um, 
And, that, and again, a million variations of that theme, but that's what you'll hear from people over and over again. And that's, that's, that, that's the same attitude that Abraham is responding here of, I've done enough to make this work. And God, I don't need you to do more. I need you just to kind of give me that stamp, that stamp of approval on what I've already done. Can, can, Ish, can you just bless Ishmael? Give me that stamp of approval on what I've already done. We'll move on and everything's going to be fine. And that's one response to God's promise to us of eternal life, of the Messiah, of, of, those, of, of that sort of thing. Um, and, and Abraham's laughter in chapter 17 is just sort of his, his rolling of his eyes to be like, all right, fine, I, I hear what you're saying. It's unnecessary. I've got it covered. And that's our response to God, quite frankly, on, on, much, on a lesser scale. Sometimes it's our response to his offer of Jesus. Sometimes it's just our, our response to whatever else God is trying to do in our lives. It's like, yeah, I've kind of already taken care of this. Um, can you just say yes to what I've already done? Sarah's reaction to the promise is, is still laughter, still outwardly. She's got this, the, the, you know, mocking God. Her laughter is just, nope, not buying it, not going to happen. I don't believe it. And that's the one that I think we think of more often um, in terms of, of, of our response to God or in terms of looking at people around and saying, I wish they would just believe and, and that sort of thing. But, so, so that's a, probably the more like, stereotypical response that we think of. But both responses are equally, um, equally prideful. They're equally invalid. <laughs> They're equally wrong. Um, but those are sort of the two ways that people react to the gospel as well. Is, I don't need it. What I'm doing is, seems to be working. I just need God to say yes. Um, or, verse, or, or in Sarah's case, it's just, this makes no sense to me. Can't be true. I'm just going to move on with my life. And one of my favorite things about, so, so God's response to Abraham, so, so God responds to these reactions. God's response to Abraham um, is, uh, you know, that's not going to cut it. What you are describing is not the same thing as what I'm describing. Uh, we're talking about two different things. I, you know, and, and, but there, there's still an ex acceptance of Ishmael, right? What Abraham had brought to God says, I will bless Ishmael. Still not what I'm talking about with Isaac. Still not the promise. It's just a different thing. Still going to have the promise. I find God's reaction to Sarah um, a little bit more interesting. And it's at the end of uh, verse 15. Uh, actually, I'm going to start in verse 13 of, of chapter 18. The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child? Now that I am old, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. And that's it. There actually is no response to Sarah. There's no trying to convince Sarah. There's no laying out a case for how this is going to happen or why it makes sense. There's, there's yet another repetition. Yep, going to come back next year. You're going to have a son. Why are you laughing? Sarah says, I'm not laughing. He said, yeah, you, would, you did. And then they, they go on. The, the story ends there. And if you keep reading it, it transitions to completely, I mean, we're still in the same setting, but they start talking about Lot and Sodom and all the things that are going to happen there. And, and God in this passage makes no effort to, um, to convince Sarah 
of his sincerity or his ability to perform the promise. And I find that fascinating because I think in a human case, we feel like that's, that's missing, right? And, and we do this with, we, we see this play out in our own lives, and we see this play out with the, in the lives of, of friends around us. If we just, if we can just convince them that what God is saying is true, and, what, and, that, and that, what, that God can do what he says. And again, this applies to salvation and the gospel, but it applies in so many tiny ways. Um, the story ends with Sarah not believing and the messengers from God leaving. And the promise still hasn't been fulfilled. Now we know because we read, read two more chapters and there's Isaac. But when, when God's messengers leave here, this story, they haven't done a thing to try to convince Sarah that she's going to have a child. And they haven't done a thing to, to, to try to, they haven't even rebuked her, right? It's just kind of like, yeah, you're laughing. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. Moving on. So Sarah is left in sort of this stasis. And it's the same stasis she's been left in for 25 years of God saying, I'm going to provide this thing for you. In this case, eternal life, but fill in the blank with, with whatever. God has made so many promises to us. And, and God's saying, I'm going to provide this thing to you. And Sarah's saying, I don't believe it. And God's saying, okay. And then leaving, and, and we're still in stasis. The story doesn't resolve. And I find it so fascinating because we can all point to something in our lives in the past, but, but I bet many of us could point to something in our lives right now where there's some promise God has made to us through a scripture, through the Holy Spirit, whatever it is, some, something that we're expecting from God that has taken way too long to get here. And, and we're just tired of waiting for it. And the, the quote on, uh, I think, what well, page two or three of your, of your worship folder, page two. Um, Laughter and tears are both responses to frustration and exhaustion. I myself prefer to laugh since there's less cleaning up to do afterwards, since that's Vonnegut. Um, and, and that's where Sarah is, and that's where we can live. And sometimes it's not laughter. We're like, I've never laughed at God. Fine. Sometimes it's tears. It's the same, it's the same place inside of us of frustration, exhaustion, and disbelief of why, God, am I still waiting for this? And, and in this case, it's cut and dry that God said he would provide it. In many of our cases, there's, this, there, there's even more room for doubt. You're like, I don't know. If maybe I misinterpreted what I'm looking at. What, maybe it's not quite, maybe God already provided it. And like kind of Abraham's case, maybe, maybe God already provided it. And I just haven't made good use of it. Whatever it is. And we, we live, we're, we're always, there's always something in our lives that's in this kind of moment of stasis where we're just waiting. And kind of trying to figure out what's going to happen next. And God is not really trying to make it easier on Sarah here. <laughs> He's just saying, no, I told you. I told you what's going to happen. It's going to happen. I'll see you later. And off they go. And Sarah has at least nine more months. <laughs> we, now we do find out that 
she didn't have much longer to wait. And so we can look at that like, oh, Sarah, you know, it was right around the corner. Um, it didn't feel like that 19 years in, right? <laughs> that it was just right around the corner. Um, and so that's the resolution. So we see the repetition of the promise. We see the reaction to the promise. And then we see the resolution to the promise. God, in fact, delivers Isaac. And they name him Isaac. And Isaac means laughter. And, and, and now the, the, the promise became parody. And now the, the ridicule has become rejoicing. God uses the same words to say, you mocked me when I told you this. Um, and now you have this little reminder that every time you call your son, you, you remember that, that uh, you know, that you didn't believe me, that you thought this was either a joke or um, whatever the mean version of a joke, a prank, that, you know, that somehow I was not being straight with you, um, and, and your laughter kind of lives on forever. Um, but, now, but now it's turned from being a mocking to, now, now they really are laughing with God, right? When Isaac is born, they name him laughter. Now we're laughing with God before we were laughing at God. Um, and the, resolu the other thing about the resolution promise, first of all, it happened, right? It happened independent of whether they believed God. We, have, we get a, a distinct sense in chapter 18 that Sarah was out. I'm out on this promise. Whatever you say, ha, 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 very funny. Can we just stop pretending? That's kind of Sarah's attitude. And, and the promise happens anyway. And that's the other part of the resolution here is that it didn't depend on whether Sarah believed it or not. Sarah had no role to play in God's plan for her and, and Abraham. Now, we know in Abraham's case, and we assume in Sarah's case, at some point there was belief, right? We know, for, we know for a fact Abraham believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness. We're told that in uh, Genesis, and we're told that again in I, either Romans or Hebrews. I always get them mixed up. Um, but Abraham believed God's counter for righteousness. And we get a sense that somewhere along the way, Sarah also believed God, but she was done and she was, she was out on this and God did it anyway. And there's a comfort here in that God works his way and his will in the, in the affairs of men, independent of whether we choose to believe him or not. When God makes a promise, the promise is fulfilled It's, it's great if we're on board. If we're not on board, it's going to happen anyway. And this is, this is where, so if you're here today and, and you are sort of this, this person who's kind of rotating between Abraham and Sarah, like, I don't believe God or I don't think it's necessary or whatever, you have a home in this passage. You can be, you can have the disbelief of Abraham and Sarah. You can have the response to God of, of mocking or tears and you can still have the confidence that God performs his will. Your response to him is not what he's waiting for. He, he will fulfill his plan in his time. And it's our job just to be there. And that's all Sarah had to do was just be there. And, and the, the promise was dissolved. And, and, and so, so, so again, the obvious... The obvious parallel here, as I mentioned, is, is Isaac is the gospel. He's the chosen one. He's the, the anointed, the Messiah, whatever, whatever you want to say. He's the eternal life. Um, but God makes a lot of promises to us. He makes promises of eternal life. He makes promises of, of security and stability 
and he makes promises of prosperity in some form or another. We can argue all day about what sort of prosperity God is promising us. But he says, come to me, all you who labor, and I will, I will give you rest, and I will make your yoke easy. And, and, and it's so we, we look at those promises and we say, God, that's not what's happening right now. Um, you know, God said to, to his, his people, I, I know the plans I've made for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And, and we look and we say, God, that's not what I'm looking at. So, so fill in the blank with whatever promises that seem to matter to you from God right now. It may be the gospel, it may be something else, it may be rest, it may be prosperity, it may be relationships, but you look, God has made so many promises, you get a little, I have a little books, I have a little book that says God's promise for your life, and, you know, and even arranged topically. God makes so many promises to us, and it's, and it's so easy to, to, to take stock at a moment in time and look at those promises and say, that's not what's happening. And in fact, that seems like the, the ship has sailed for that. If that was going to happen, it would have already happened. And now here I am in, in limbo, in stasis, just kind of, it's, it's, this isn't what's going to happen for me. And, and, and God says, no, I, I make a promise. The promise will be fulfilled. Um, <laughs> it's right around the corner, maybe for 20 years, but it's right around the corner. Um, and, so, and so our response, we, we laugh at God and we say that, that, we say, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me with this? I've heard it again. I've heard it again. I've heard it again at some point are you mocking me? And God just says, no, I'm not kidding. I am the God all-sufficient, and what I say, I will do, and you just have to be there. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.